This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. Hi, how are you? My name is Andrew WK. They say when things are very delicious, it must be Heritage Radio. Bushwick and uh, another tape show coming to you today on a very rainy morning under the tent out here at Roberta's the day after the Brooklyn Book Festival. I guarantee today's show is exactly where arts meets seizures. This is it. This is where the uh, <laughs> the wheels meet the road. This is where the earth meets the water and the water meets the sky. Can you dig it? I'm sitting here with the fabulous Christina Ward. Morning, sunshine. Not only representing Fear All House Books, but she is also the master food preserver of the city of Milwaukee. Yes. So. Oh. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Right. So we're going to be talking about jams and jellies and preserves and all sorts of groovy things. Besides uh, the literary mayhem that comes with Fear All House, one of my favorite imprints. And joining us today is our old friend Michael Lee Nirenberg, who was most recently the director of the Hustler Magazine Story. Back issues, the Hustler Magazine Story, a documentary of which you gave me much screen time. Thank you. You made things more handsome. Thank you. It's a very, 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 very good-looking movie. You know, Mike, I feel like I'm in the Peter Zaremba role today. <laughs> ah, the Derwood Kirby chair. You're going to be telling some, like, Eisenhower-era jokes? Yeah. Some Sputnik-era humor to brighten things up? Zaremba would have brought me an old-fashioned. Oh. Made the old-fashioned oh, I didn't way. know I was Peter Zaremba until I got in the seat. <laughs> no one does. It is the Zaremba seat, isn't it? Yeah. So. Uh, it's the big shoes. Zaremba is in China right now, actually, with the flesh tones. China, where they just call it food. <laughs> oh yeah! Uh, there you go. Sputnik era humor from the arts and seizures. I like the other drummer better. <laughs> um, well, listen, we had a great day at the Brooklyn Book Fest yesterday. We did. It was a beautiful day. We had lots of fans. We had lots of fiends. We had lots of crazy people. Oh, book, book weirdos who come and paw everything and don't buy anything. And yeah, yeah. I had one guy ask who... Ask a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions. And his only line, he said, he looked at every book and he's like, I hope Cabaret comes back. Yeah. Yeah, I love Cabaret. I, I, I remember him and he really had to push him away. And, and you're, you're so right, running the table with an iron fist. Well, an iron fist in a, glove, in a velvet glove. But he was. Um, what book was time. he looking at? He was. Uh, he was looking at Mel Gordon's Voluptuous Panic, which is that great uh, book of kind of a survey of the sex culture in 1920s Berlin. Which okay, so there's the cabaret connection. The cabaret. But he was really pawing it and kind of salivating on it. Oh, he, so he wasn't talking about the movie Cabaret and Liza Minnelli, right? Like he was. He wanted, and he made that connection. Oh, he wanted that book and, to be something right. else, and he wanted it to be, you know, and that was like it put him on that singular focus track of. He wanted Cabaret back. That's I thought he meant back on Broadway. Well. I think that's what I took it as, too. Here's the happy ending to that story. 5.30, half hour before that fair ends, he stumbles back, tells me he wants Cabaret back, and buys the damn book. Right on. 
<laughs> All right, that's one book at a time. Maybe maybe he'll bring it back. Maybe he'll maybe. be the guy. Who knows? It could have been this uh, Howard Hughes type figure, and that was the uh, catalyst. Yeah, cats is back. They brought cats back to Broadway. But I was very disappointed when I found out that it wasn't actually real cats. It's just people dressed up like cats. But that's the <laughs> Moscow circus cats. <laughs> Moscow circus cats. Actual actual cats. Cats this... doing circus tricks. I think they're looking for a road manager, Mike. I, I've seen this, and there are there are cat bands, and um, there, there have been cat cafes. Uh, I haven't yet been in one, but I it's feel pussy like galore. Pussy galore. Pussy riot. Right, a pussy, pussy riot. No, so like you're, so because yeah, Zaremba's not here, someone's got to be working this side of the street. So right. what's got, <laughs> so, so so what's got two legs and sleeps with cats, Mrs. Cats, and uh. sometimes Mrs. Newsbound. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Mel Gordon, I love his other book that just came out on the Theater of Fear. Theater of Fear and Horror. It's a we did it in '88, and Mel expanded it, um, and so now it's got actual. Manuscripts and it's about the, the manuscripts French. are amazing. The scripts tell people what it and what it's it is. The, the history of the grand and um, I will always mispronounce it. I'm a self-taught second language, so I'll massacre the French. So the grand guignol, um, and so it is kind of the precursor to every modern slasher film that you ever thought you wanted to see. And they did it live on stage in Paris, ran for about a good solid fifty years, and it was just about sheer titillation, nudity, horror, blood. You know, and the stage tricks were amazing, and that's what this new expanded edition goes into. A lot into. of gore explains how, in the late 1800s, they were able to, you know, fake cutting someone's head off and gushing blood. It's it's pretty cool. You're not after this, Michael. It's it's great, and it's really made me. Uh, I'm just reading the book. I want to start my own like horror theater. Yes, that's what's all we do. It's like they just put on horror plays. You know, they end in spectacular amounts of bloodshed right. and gore, and it's um, an ensemble cast, and they have the same people working, and it just it just runs and they change the play. Absolutely. Often, but that's it. When you go to the Grand Union, you can expect horror. Right. It's the Chekhov thing. If you're going to put a gun in the first act, you know it's going off in the third. And <laughs> the Grand Union is n- guns and bombs and knives and machetes and nooses, and you see them all, and it's. It's horrible and awful, and Mel does just yeoman's work documenting it and putting it in this book. It is my favorite new Feral House uh, release. Um, I mean, the posters are amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, all the stuff. We're talking about late 19th century Paris, so everything's got that Art Nouveau sort of look about it. Uh, and But th- that this book has scripts for the actual plays, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like a lot darker than your basic Alfred Hitchcock presents. That's cool. It makes me think like that maybe at some point horror movies have replaced the Grand Goo and all it, it, at some point, right? Did. Because the people still love to it, be scared. It did, it did. It was very much because it officially kind of closed up in um, late 50s, early 50s, you know, kind of petered on um, during think, the post-war period just for a few years. And then movies really took over that role of, um, you know, scaring the masses. I see, I see no reason why something like this couldn't be started in New York or San Francisco I mean, or any place you know, where I, people would come and pay some coin to, to see you know, in San Francisco, like they've done it. They've done a few of the plays. Um, and Mel's like overseen it. Mel's actually the uh, theater professor emeritus at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And so he's overseen and helped like as a technical advisor. And so they've done short runs of some of these plays. And they do like a, the night of the Grand Guignol. Um, I think heavy metal, heavy metal certainly um, they filled in the gap there. Like Alice Cooper particularly makes so me shock. Shock rock and the sort that, of that this live, live horror event. 
Yeah, this live horror event is something that still happens And, and much today. like the modern horror movies that's happening, over if you look at it from the beginning towards the end, it was escalating, always escalating. They looked to top themselves, and how could they make it, you know, more titillating, more gory, and, and then, you know, with the special effects as well, they just kept looking to make it more and more and more. Yeah, it's great stuff. And also now, um, over the years, what's become popular these staged haunted houses, these oh, large, yeah. like, production haunted houses um, coming up to Halloween. And I remember the first one I was in was in uh, Madrid when I was living in Spain in the mid '90s, and uh, a woman I knew said, "Oh, we got to go to this thing. It's a, it's a haunted house." And I was a little skeptical because I wasn't sure what a Spanish haunted house was going to be, but I was into it. And in the very first room, there were people with like real live chainsaws, you know. And we were told, "You can, you know, you just do not touch anything, and no one will touch you. That's the only thing you need to know." Coming mm-hmm. through, I'm like, "All right." It was probably the best date I've ever been on. I mean, we were, you know, like just clutching each other the whole time, and we we, we left like like inseparable. So. That's a good day. That's what horror movies are for, right? So the girl holds the boy's hand. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm from Milwaukee, and I Which was... is a plenty scary place without the horror house. It can be. We, you know, long winters, <laughs> long winters make people go inside their heads for a long time. Um, but it, it, what's funny is the, 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 the horror... The, Wisconsin serial killers. We've got many. Um so the haunted houses in Wisconsin, I always thought was really funny. Is they're always sponsored by like civic groups and nonprofits as a fundraising thing. So it's like this is the scariest haunted house. Live chainsaws, we're jumping out, and it's sponsored by the JCs. Well, I worked <laughs> at a haunted house. I learned a lot of. Uh, uh, well, I became the man I am. You today. would have been a good carny. Well, I can I'm a see good, what I'm a haunted I'm a, house. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tumbler, right? Which means, oh, you called me that yesterday. Right. Well, that's because you were tumbling, which is the Yiddish word. It means you're uh, the, the carnival barker. It means you're out there, step right up, see what we got, see this incredible sensation that. Two-headed woman, the JoJo, the, the dog face boy. boy. Um, <laughs> you know all that stuff. But step right up, step right up. Let's get people in in the house and start the show. That's called tumbling. But I worked at the March of Dimes haunted house when I was. I talk about this in um, my book. I have fun everywhere I go. When I was just a little kid, thirteen. That's where I learned how to smoke marijuana at the March of Dimes haunted house. And and, and who very, says they don't help children? <laughs> <laughs> it was decidedly you know low rent compared to live chainsaws. And I mean the one I went to in Madrid had real special effects. The Exorcist room was like. Incredible. I mean, the priest was flying up against the ceiling, you know, with you know concealed you know lines, and the whole thing was very violent and shaky and vomit, and, and you know, it's that, sa- it's that same inspiration. The Grand Reno, they're looking every year to top themselves to get the best rating. And our our newspaper in Milwaukee actually does a review. It'll start this time of year, and they like rate all the haunted houses in the area. Mm-hmm. Is that many? Is that many? There's that many in New York as well. It's always like a, a standard feature in the New York Post every yeah. year. Right now, back at the March of Dimes, I had one of the jobs I had, which I loved, is I would walk through the tour. People, you know, you walk through the haunted house and pretend to be a paying customer. I was a shill. Um, and when we got to the last room, which was the electric chair room, the execution room, I would get grabbed and thrown into the chair, which would point out start screaming like a lunatic. And uh, the gag was, the gimmick was, after the, stro- and the strobe light would go off, I would start convulsing wildly. And the two things that really sold were, one, that I had this like glow-in-the-dark phosphorescent makeup on that you couldn't see during the regular lights. But after the strobe and they turned the lights off, I was sitting there glowing. And also someone would burn a little paper, so it smelled like singed hair, and I was glowing. Nice. And it, it worked really well. Only some people out of the street. That's old school. That's, cool. that's old school, you know, stagecraft, dude. It's and like, it people, is. people like to be entertained. And that's what people these like these, these poor kids today. All this attachment to devices. They're missing out. They're both. missing out on, on how to real, figure out on a, on a real how to scare. make home, homemade napalm and make haunted <laughs> houses. <laughs> well, if you're honest, you guys aren't doing any anarchist cookbook type stuff, right? We aren't. We aren't. 
That's it. That's that, what we aren't. We aren't. That's you know. There's a line. I, you here. send me an email. I'll, I'll give you a recipe. I, I do. I do miss the Lumpan- <laughs> I do miss the Lumpanics catalog though. It was great. It was great. Actually, you know, um, I love convergences and uh, the, our actual warehouse in Port Townsend is the old Lumpanics warehouse. Explain, explain to the kids at home right, who don't right, know right. these post in the post internet. Uh, group that's listening to the show, what the Lumpanics catalog is if, they, if no one's actually seen it. it. You know, there was, the world has always been weird. And so, <laughs> you know, from punk rock to couch surfing, to, there's the weird people want to find each other. And so the Lumpanics catalog was this great mail order kind of to take all of these weird things together and put it then out to the world and tell people how to access this wonderful weird material that they may not have been able to find on their own. Well, you're making it sound more like the Whole Earth Catalog, well, which is a book, that, which, is a, which is a publication that I also really admire because that's a pre-internet network. Oh, uh, Stuart Brand's you, awesome. You know, it's absolutely, the Whole Earth Catalog is absolutely fantastic, but that's, you know, it's um, promoting a sustainable lifestyle yeah. and, and all this stuff. The Lumpanics catalog was promoting things like how to lose your identity, how to live off the grid. This is like in, in the early 70s when I first... And later I on, think that's uh, important. Was, whole but, but it was also the anarchist catalog, which finally kind of put them out of business, I think, because they teach you how to make bombs. Yeah. There, I mean, there are books about how to rob a bank. There are books about how to start right. your own uh, currency. At about an island and start your own country. A lot of stuff about um, identi- losing your identity and sure. faking your own death and building weapons. A lot of, there's a lot of anarchy in there. There's a lot of troublemaking going on in the Lubanics catalog. Survival stuff, important skills. Was this an inspiration for Adam to do uh, Process Media stuff? Because I know Process puts out a lot of uh, sustainable life. We do. We've got the Self-Reliance series, and it's a series of books about different aspects of kind of doing it on your own. It's the ultimate DIY, and I'm not sure... I mean... It's hard to say. Everybody has so many tangents coming in and information, so it's hard to say exactly what was the inspiration. But he started it moving from L.A. up to Port Townsend, Washington, so from a giant urban center to a very small town, and uh, was struck by you know that change of lifestyle and some of the skills. You do need a different skill set to live off the land. You need a different skill set. And we've become so wholly reliant on, can you change a tire? Anybody change a tire I, here? I, I can change a tire. I can change a tire, but you know uh, what? Uh-huh. I can't start a fire. I have to. I, I can start a fire. And I can field dress a deer. You're from Wisconsin. You are you are the queen. You really are. Yeah, I, feel very, I, feel, I feel a lot safer with you out, out in the outback than the southern Probably. New Jersey. Probably. Yeah, I can't help you. I can't yeah. help you. I can Dude, just crack you jokes. You can't even change a light bulb without calling a contractor. Oh, I, I will. It's not true. It's just, but that's that's who my people are. I grew up melting shot and reloading, you know, for I, ammo. I mean, I'm, actually, you, I'm actually very good campers, for, you know, for being a Jew. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh you know what? Jew. <laughs> Jews outside. There's a book for you. <laughs> well, that's Someone a good told idea. me camping was like it was like this conspiracy to get Jews to buy stuff they're only going to use once. <laughs> <laughs> but I, lo- I love, um, you know, I, I love being outside. I, I'm much more of a country boy than people think, just because I live in New York City and. Who I am, but my advice to everyone: what I've learned from camping is always rehearse the tent. This yes. is the most important lesson. Never be out in the woods and not have tried to put the tent up once, especially if you're there with uh, with a partner, you know, or an intimate friend, because this is a high risk zone for fighting and arguing. Is putting up a two man tent. Yes. You want to rehearse the tent. Always rehearse the tent. And, and that's a never a time to display your manhood. And so I would also add, so if someone, if the partner knows how to put the tent up, let, let them. them. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> See, I'm never going to take a woman camping to impress her. That's just you not know, well, happening. It's not bloody likely, is it? It's not bloody likely. <laughs> and, you know, Mike, I was just thinking, like, how come Jews are not good at outdoors? What, what is it about us? Is it I think it's because we wandered for Kvetchen? 600 years and got tired of it. 
Oh, it's like I thought it was just too much kvetching. Maybe it's because they're, because they're, it's dirty outside. Well, that's that's yeah, what my mother. Yeah. Would, it's, you know, it's like yeah, it's dirt. <laughs> they're dirty outside. I don't well, know. There's sticks and there are bugs. And I don't know. There's your next book, Complain to Win. There, Complain <laughs> to Win. <laughs> well, we, we could be populating the Feral House Fall catalog. You could. I I give free ideas for books all the time, and Me it's too. always just write the damn book. Ain't that the problem though? Getting people write to write it. them. Just do yeah, it. People to well, I think them. Mike here said it's, uh, imagine having homework for a, uh, three years. Yeah. What was it? Yeah, that's what a book is. It's homework every day for a year. And that's why we at Fair House, we love obsessives. Um, I don't want crazy people, but obsessives. If you tell me you spent 20 years researching this little dark corner of some obscure thing, then I'm interested. And that's very important. Some of the books that you have, you, I need the expert. I need the guy who really has done that and hasn't just turned on their Google machine and think that's the beginning and the end of it. And right. uh, We've also discussed here many times, and uh, I've discussed it in my own books, that um, the problem with kids today is they mistake information for knowledge. They're mistaking access for experience. And it's not true. Just because you've got a tricorder, as I'm holding up my iPhone, in your pocket, it's this computer that's got access to the world's sum of information on it. It truly yeah. does. That doesn't mean that you are smart. And I get it all the time. And what, uh, the other things I do with the food preservation, so I get overrun. I'll have, like, usually it's girls. No offense. Um, but women. Yeah, that's right. Women. I'm from the Midwest. They're girls. <laughs> um, they'll take a class in, you know, making salsa, making jelly or something. And then they're like, great, we're starting a business. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Just call it salmonella and yeah. just be done with it. Well, and that, well, <laughs> well, especially when it comes to food crafting, anything artisanal, yeah. it takes a long time to, to do. And uh, when we wrote the Carnivore's Manifesto, one thing we talked about, too, was the concept of being an apprentice right. and being a journeyman and learning your craft for years. Um, we used to talk a lot about this guy, uh, Thomas Odermatt, who's the guy who makes the porchetta sandwich um, at the farmer's market in San Francisco by the ferry building. The guy's dedicated his life to making one sandwich, to perfecting the porchetta sandwich. And it shows. No one comes close. That's why there's a line around the block to see the guy. But that kind of focus, you know, you don't want to do 600 things. You want to do, like, one thing, like, amazingly well sometimes. Absolutely. And and that's where I've had it a few times where, it, it, as goofy as it sounds, the whole title, Master Food Preserver, it's not something I gave myself. It's actually a vestige from the late 1800s of mm-hmm. the land-grant universities of about sharing and disseminating the actual research science to rural communities and you know you not everyone can get there you have to actually take tests i had to study it at madison at the you know the main university so i'm walking around with some food chemistry knowledge as well as food microbiological i will i can tell you what's going to kill you if you do it wrong master food ridiculous i'm sorry how did you get started like how, how did you learn the craft um I'm one of those very, again, common in the Midwest, so I'm from Milwaukee, grew up there, but again, with rural roots. So every summer, got shipped off to my grandparents' farm, and that's a real common thing uh, with, you know, the industrialization, so all these people coming up from the South or immigrating from Europe. And so if you were black, you got shipped down South to your grandparents' farm. If you were white, you got shipped up North to your grandparents' farm. And so... It was something that you did. It wasn't a fun thing. Is you were, you know, I was up with a group of cousins and we were working the land. We were doing stuff that OSHA, if, you know, Sinclair Lewis saw it, he'd be rolling in his grave because that's what you did. You had extra bodies, you worked them. And that's where I started <laughs> learning it. So 
it's you know that's part of the it's part of the life. You got to do it. All right, tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back talk more to uh, Christina Ward from Feral House. We're going to talk about uh, punk rock and some of your new books that are coming out. Absolutely. Feral House. We're going to talk more to Michael Lee Nuremberg, maybe about Hustler Magazine and what you got Ugh, cooking. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going back right now. We're going way back. This is original OG New York punk rock. We're going to talk about uh, Harley Flanagan's new book when we come back. You're listening to Arts and Seizures on Heritage Radio. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Holy cow, punk rock on a rainy Monday morning here at Roberta's. Uh, there's no one here today. No one's at the awkward date table. It's just, <laughs> just this empty table waiting for embarrassment and, <laughs> and shame. <laughs> it's a shame about to happen. It, the table needs its own personal time to recover from the many bad dates. Oh, man. So uh, one of your new books on Feral House, uh, coming right back to... Um, what we all are here for is Harley Flanagan's new book, which I saw in the New York Times this week. And uh, yes. Harley's certainly a controversial character. I feel like I should put on my Joe Franklin voice when I do that. A controversial... My, you know what I love? My new thing now is Howard Cosell. I'm putting Joe Franklin down. I'm going to start studying Howard Cosell more. Howard Cosell. Howard, a controversial figure who was occasioned to write an autobiography recently featured in The Old Grey Lady. Uh, but yeah, I was... Um, Harley is... Uh, you know, and you asked me if um, would I like to have him on the show? And I said, you know, I'm really not sure. I wanted to, I had to think about it for a minute. Um, I knew Harley for about a half a second just from being in the periphery of Reagan youth and some of the uh, original hardcore bands in the early 80s. Um, but there's a lot of negative energy surrounding Harley, to be honest with you. I, His last New York Times feature was him stabbing someone <laughs> at, at a gig. I and, agree. I agree. It's controversial. And that's part of why Feral House does it. Now, just to remind everybody, Feral House, we live and die on that First Amendment hill every day. So if we're not offending somebody, then we're not doing our job. Right on. So Harley's story is unique in the sense it's a real New York story. The kid came up. I mean, he'll get mad at me, but he came up as just pretty much a, a, a wild thing. His mother was a hippie. His dad was in and out of jail. Um, no, there was always but, something. Even as a kid, he was very visceral, very feral. Yeah. You know, it's, and... It, it, Steve Blush, who wrote the introduction of the book, actually described it really, because Steve actually helped out, out a lot with that book and did, like, the first reads and kind of helped put that stuff together a bit. And he was like, oh, my God, this is actually like a real-life Clockwork Orange. It's, you know, these kids were just running wild. There was and, a lot of violence surrounding and the scene that he was And lots of violence. In. And uh, lots of violence instigated by Harley Flanagan. And that's so, and then I mean, I stayed the fuck away from uh, you know the bands that he he was playing in um, uh, Agnostic Front and you know and some of these yeah. other bands because that's not, I mean I loved hardcore music. My friends are Reagan youth. They were like hippies, you know Reagan youth. Right. Uh, I mean they smoked a lot of pot and their message was uh, peace, not war, and that was okay. And you know, there, was a, there was a mosh pit, you know, and there was lots of flying off the stage and you know and all the attendant things that come with a all ages hardcore concert. But you could walk away feeling good about yourself. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Even like you know what I do in trying to, to talk to people about the books is you know when <laughs> I get the response of like Harley threatened to kill me at the Rock Against Racism show. <laughs> Screw that! I'm not reading his book. So I, we know it's controversial. I know. And again, I'll always defend that we put it out. Uh, you know, you can hate read it. You don't have. You to, can hate read it. Uh, 
by the way, you, you don't have to. You don't, you don't have to defend it. I, I, it's yeah. a perfect book for Feral House. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's the way we book guests. I'm here. We tend to book people who I, you know, I, I'm not looking for. It's not 60 minutes. I'm not looking for controversy on the show. Believe it or no, not. You know, I like to promote people that I love, like like y'all. And um, you know, I once got in trouble for getting you know up, up in the face of one of our guests, Judy McGuire, and never going to forgive me for this clown that was trying to save the Chelsea Hotel. Um, <laughs> it's another story entirely. But um, yeah, it was the only time I ever really felt you know like a challenge by a guest and it's not really what the show is about we like and, to no, celebrate and I don't, the people I don't, that we love and promote books and I don't feel challenged I don't feel challenged it's a challenging book it's a challenging read Harley's life has been one of uh, controversy but it's interesting it is that you know the transformation ask he's 49 years old now he's got kids and he teaches jujitsu to little kids little kids um, in Chelsea yeah when, he's, <laughs> yeah when he's not stabbing people you know backstage at the Ritz I, I have the book and there's a, a photo of him as a kid, a little kid with Andy Warhol and uh, Joe oh, Joe yeah. Strummer, yeah. and I thought like, wow, this is something like a like a Forrest Gump type thing where Zelig, yeah, he, Zelig, right, yeah. where he just appears throughout right. New York City's. Uh, cultural history inadvertently. Yeah. Well, he was Very a great, interesting. He was a great drummer, and the stimulators were really, uh, you know, worshipped you know, among the scene as being the first of the great New York thrash bands with uh, Loud Fast Rules, what we just heard. Um, and people really looked up to that, and it really influenced all the bands. Yeah, that came after it. I mean, I think the Bad Brains and MDC and Minor Threat and certainly my friends Reagan Youth and all the way to, out to California and Los Angeles. I mean, that was it. That and was the thrash the sound. I'm sorry? And in the Midwest, and in between. And, and everywhere in between. Uh, right, Wisconsin. Like Shout out to my boys in Dekreutzen. Dekreutzen. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was in the October file the other day. It's excellent. Holds up, man. Wisconsin, Holds up. Wisconsin, Wisconsin Rock. So you could tell us about the dark, the dark uh, well, vortex of New Jersey and well, Wisconsin. Right. So, you know, Milwaukee, we're a very Germanic city. We're German. We, you know, socialist mayors. We had the all those in, the revolution in Germany, 1848. All those socialist Germans, the good guys, come to Wisconsin. Um, later, the bad guys come to Wisconsin, too. So our shared summer camps, the summer, summer, great summer camp experience, the Bund. There's two summer Bund summer camps, one in New Jersey, one in Wisconsin. Yeah, our parents kept us far the fuck away yeah, from, I'm yeah, sure. from, 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 from the Bund. But, but, but what's funny, what's funny... Taking showers there could have been a gas. <laughs> what's funny is you still, see, you still see remnants of those folks walking around. So when you go and see pictures of grandma and grandpa on people's living room walls, sometimes they're wearing the wrong uniform. Well, we had oh, to, that's we had interesting. To, we didn't have that here, really. Yeah. That you know of. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't being invited to... Oh, it's uh, here. Well, it's so funny. I, you know, well, being at the Brooklyn Book Festival yesterday and seeing all the hipster kids walking around is the haircut. We call it the Himmler. Because back home, it's, you know, the high and tight. So these kids are all rocking the Himmler. And it's back. And it's back. It's back. Uh, we had the best time when uh, we were in Milwaukee. By, uh, we, I mean... Uh, uh, Mickey Finn, my piano player, yeah. my and myself promoting um, You Are a Complete Disappointment, my last book. And we had the best time in Milwaukee, largely thanks to you. And since then, I've become more of a student of all things Milwaukee, start, starting with the startling amount of alcohol that you all consume. And, and your and Okay, which, for, which I'm, it's a lot coming from me. I've, this, I thought until I met, <laughs> I came to Milwaukee and spent some time with some real uh, Milwaukeeans. Milwaukeeans, Milwaukeeans yeah. Milwaukeeans. Um, that New Orleans was the city most proud of its own drinking problem. <laughs> oh no! Uh, no, it's, it's it's you guys. You guys win. You are number one. Right, we are number one. We we pride ourselves on it, and it's you know it comes and it's actually it's a European. It's the bar culture. Houses were small, and so everybody had a corner bar that was the living room, 
And so you just grew up that way. I mean, my, my grandfather used to, was supposed to always take us to mass on Sundays. We just went to the Cactus Club to the bar. And then you got a, you know, a kitty cocktail to start your the training great, early. The, and great, then the greatest the thing is when you go to Milwaukee and you order a Bloody Mary, it comes with a beer. Yeah. Which is the way in my head. That's it. why I always order it. And it comes. And I'll Why tell you, wouldn't when, you? Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's why what I'm saying, you? yo. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. I've had to do some pretty like uh, bar stool lawyering because <laughs> at an airport, because at an airport, they only want to give you one drink at once. And I'm like, I have a Bloody Mary and a bottle of Corona because um, I like to drink the Bloody Mary and sort of. It's got Top be- it off with the Corona, kind of my, I call it my airport michelada. Okay. Okay. And they're like, no, I can't give that to you. It's two drinks. And I can only give you one drink at a time. But I convinced the guy that, no, it's actually two parts of the same thing and therefore only one drink. Yeah, and, and it's got to be in a short glass. <laughs> the beer's got to be in a short glass. It's got to be cheap. It's got to be. It's a pony it's bottle. A, right. It's, it's a little, you know, it's a little guy. It's a Blatz. It's a Schlitz. It's not, you know, any of this up your nose, fancy pants a beer. A Blatz, a Schlitz. So now, you see, now you get to, we're talking, and now you hear my Midwestern accent. As Kurt Vonnegut gets on, said it, uh, he described it as a band on a garbage can. That's what we sound like. <laughs> well, I think it's charming. I think it's charming. And, uh, yeah, no, we had a great time in, in Milwaukee, and thanks for coming out there and really showing us around. Anytime. Uh, you guys come back, and there's more bars to and hit. we're coming to Brooklyn and, and the Furrow House, and by far the most dangerous booth in the whole show. Oh, for sure. You know, and sure. that's what we tried to bring the party with us. I brought beer out. <laughs> I think we were the only ten had not, beer. Not just that. And I mean, so, you know, ideas being weapons of the you know in, in the war. Uh, you guys, the stuff that you're peddling, the books you have are are truly uh, dangerous and subversive in a time, and not many things are. Yes, and it's it's funny how the publishing world looks at us because we're definitely treated like the redheaded stepchild. I went to the fancy you know mm-hmm. festival party for uh, Saturday night, and as soon as I said the word feral house, you could just see them kind of back away. Those motherfuckers awesome. learn better learn how to respect. I thought the rumble would say you got to respect your opponent. It's uh, <laughs> you know it's it's a weird thing. We own it though. We we totally own it um, because what I, th- I still think we what we do is important. We're doing cultural stuff. We're doing weird stuff. You want to learn about chemtrails? Come look at the website. We've got some chemtrail books. Crazy as it sounds, but everybody's got a point of view. Sometimes. You know, 20 years later, it turns out we're really prescient. Sometimes we're just crazy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Hollywood movies have been ripped off of uh, old feral house Oh, uh, don't books. even get me but started. But we're not going to talk uh, about it. Uh, as I'm always, saying, yeah. it is bad. It is, you know, we're the cultural. We try to push it. We're, we're always trying to push no, it. You guys are absolutely fantastic. Feral House. Uh, and I hope everyone that's listening will uh, visit your, your website. Yeah, your feralhouse.com. Feralhouse.com because it truly is. It's, it's a great catalog. It's a great line of books. It's a fantastic imprint. Uh, yeah. Write me a book. Don't send me any poetry. <laughs> and as always, it's been the fastest half hour on the internet today. Can you dig it? Talking about books, more arts than seizures, maybe today, and it still flew by. Holy We're cow! Good. All right, thanks. we'll be we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks again to Christina Ward. Thank thanks you so to much, Michael Lee Nirenberg, sitting in the Derby Kerwood <laughs> chair for Pizza Rumba. Dave in the booth. Mike Edison. We're going to see you next week live with something crazy and even more spectacular. We're going to go out with uh, some real OG hardcore. Some more for my friends Reagan Youth. Perfect for these crazy times. We're in. See ya.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.